Write to be Read podcast, episode number 50. Interview with David Ralph. You are listening to the Write to be Read podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Right to be Read podcast. First of all, thank you very much for listening to this show. I can't believe we are at episode 50 already because it felt like yesterday when I decided to create a podcast. So time flies, although I'm sure that uh, that's how I feel because I truly enjoy what I'm doing. And today I have a special guest for you, and he truly enjoys what he's doing too. In this interview, I talk about pretty much everything with him. We will be discussing difficult bosses, escape from the corporate world, finding what you love doing, writing processes, the muse, and the life itself. So let me introduce my guest now. David Ralph is the host and creator of the top-ranked seven-day-per-week show, Join Up Dots. Based on the words of the late Steve Jobs, David takes his guests through an emotional dissection of their lives, culminating in a conversation with their younger self. With a daily audience of over 18,000 listeners, David has truly found his path in life. But this is the pinnacle of nearly 30 years based in corporations around London and the United Kingdom, where David didn't know his path and, like so many of us, followed the route that was expected, the route that was not his. So let's greet Mr. Ralph, find out why I invited someone who at first glance has nothing to do with writing to write to be read. Well, welcome to my show, Mr. Ralph. I'm really, really happy to have you here. How are you doing? I am always good. Um, it, it's true, actually. On a, on a daily basis, I couldn't be better. And I feel like I'm getting better and better every day. So um, I've certainly found myself in, in the right place in life and delighted to be on your show. Well, it's, it's you know, you, you're one of the happiest people I know alive because you're actually doing what you love and you re- truly love what you're doing. And, you know, that's, that's like the best place to be. And very few are happy enough to find that spot and to be able to be there. Yeah, but I start drinking very early in the morning, Annie. So um, (laughs) there's a lot to be said about that. No, you are right. I I feel for the first time in my life that I am totally, totally doing something that I should be doing. And I've come close before and I've had moments in my career that things felt good, but not on a daily basis. When When you know, you know. So you're absolutely right. Okay, so how did this realization came, like what you wanted to do? Was it, uh, did you first found out that you didn't want to do what you were doing and later on something else came or you always knew what you were, you wanted to do? No, I didn't know at all what I wanted to do. And I didn't even know what I wanted to do until I'd made the leap of faith, as they say, and um, quit my nine to five job. I just knew that I had to do something different and there was no master plan I wish I had a master plan that I could look back on and go yes that was structured all the way through I just came to a point in my career where 
I hated working with someone and for someone. And on a daily basis, this person who was a manager who came into my job um, just made my life a misery. And I got to a point one afternoon, I was saying to my friend, I've got to leave. And he said, you can't allow one person to dictate your happiness. And I thought, no, you're absolutely right. I can't allow that person. So I'm going to leave and I'm never going to be unhappy again. And I, I quit. And I really didn't know what I was going to do. I had a kind of safety net and that was I was going to quit my job that I was a financial trainer. So I used to stand up doing training courses and I thought, right, I'll make websites for people because I can do that reasonably easy. Not brilliant ones, but okay. And um, I did that for three days and it bored me stupid. And I realized, hang on, I've made a mistake here. I've got to do something. And fortunately, because of that boredom, I started looking around and listening to podcasts and three back to back I thought to myself I can do this I can so do this and uh, I, I proved it and I've, I've done it and it's going it's going amazingly well really pleased well from, from what you told me actually you know when when you spoke about your manager I recalled a Greek saying which says you know a good boss is a dead boss <laughs> so apparently your choice of not having bosses anymore have been the key element in here and um, it's uh, it's interesting that actually the this curiosity and boredom brought you to what you actually enjoy doing and you know it's I can't imagine you doing anything else, actually, you know. <laughs> it's just, you know. It, it is strange, though. As you say, I can't imagine myself doing something else. And a lot of my colleagues and um, people I used to work with say to me, you were born for this. You should have been doing this years ago. But nobody really told me. Although I do remember when I first, probably about year 2000 I had a leap of faith at that point in my career and decided I needed to do something different and I started writing round to radio stations and well say I wrote round I wrote about three letters and I got rejections and all of them and I just gave up um, but now with technology being as it is you can cr create your own radio station which we do you've done from your side and it's not just sort of localized in your area it's global so the power of the um, internet has given us opportunities that we just couldn't have believed beforehand but no you are right I can't imagine doing anything else and on a daily basis I just want to do it more and more and more. Well, I can't see how you can do more because you're, you're doing it like almost 24-7. So it's just, you know, at some point you won't be able to increase the number of interviews you're recording during the day. It's just, you know, impossible. <laughs> I don't know, really, because if you love doing something, you find a way of doing it, don't you? And it's in many ways, I know there's a lot of administration that goes into it to get it to, to the point of being able to do the shows and actually recording. But when you press record and you know, yeah, this is what I love doing, all the rest of it sort of goes away. And when you get to a certain point and you can hand that stuff off, so you can hand the administration off to a sort of virtual assistant or an assistant to do all that, and you're left with just doing the thing that you love doing, then, Annie, why wouldn't you do more of it? Yeah, well, I'm absolutely sure you'll be doing much more of that in the future. So it's it's just, you know, the, um, the things that make people happy uh, also bring, you know, extra energy and, uh, you know, uh, the, they bring you to the state when you are able to do it nonstop, most probably, because that's what I'm seeing in your case, actually. 
it, it does seem pretty non-stop, uh, I'll be honest. But even when I'm sleeping, this is the problem I have. When I'm sleeping, I'm going through it as well. So it, it does sort of engulf my life. So the, the last couple of days, I've actually switched off. And it was really hard to do. So I haven't recorded any shows. I haven't been to my recording studio at all. I just left it alone. And to be honest, now I can look back on that. And I think, yeah, I needed two days away from it because it has been constant, constant, constant all the way through. But I suppose I keep on coming back to it. When, when you love doing it, you, you want to make it constant, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. But you, you, you always, as you mentioned, need some time to unplug because uh, the thing is, it's, it's like writing, for example, when you're writing a book and you, you're too deep into that, you know, at certain point when you start self-editing the text you have written, you have to take a break in between those two so you can at least, you know, partially have this aside look to, to the things because when you are inside all the time, you end up at some t- point, you know, Losing the the reality and the you know you you're going through it through your eyes and from the inside look, so unplugging usually helps and it it kind of refreshes things up I guess. It does, but if you do unplug, you, you lose a, a support network. You know, you you and I have connected, and you are great for me when I'm feeling down or feeling sort of stressed or whatever. You kind of you you, you say your harsh words over the um, <laughs> internet. And, and push me into a corner and it makes me realise. So when, when you do sort of disconnect, you realise that you're actually disconnecting from your life support system, which is so important for you as you start working towards something. And in a virtual world, most of the time you're pretty on your own. It's only when you can connect and have these conversations like we're having now that you realise that there are, there's, there's people across the globe that have got the same issues and they've got the same problems. And we do support, don't we? We, we support each other. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I can go further and say that it's not only online. I mean, in life, usually people are alone if you go too deep and, you know, start philosophizing about things. You know, uh, people are born alone and they die alone. And usually, you know, we... we we may create well, they're not born the- alone, are they? They're, they're, they're with their mums uh, when they're born. Yeah, but, you know, the process is just yours and you go <laughs> through it. <laughs> anyway, so, um, well, since I touched birth, let's, let's talk about how amazing it is when people are creating something from scratch. Like, you know, uh, your podcast interviews, let's say, you know, you, you, you start from point zero, you, you start your conversations with people you have never met even and don't know about. And then, you know, something amazing comes out and you end up having this really nice, deep, honest talks with people where you reveal lots of valuable things and um, the same is with the writing you know uh, it's just you know one two three words and then they become sentences and then paragraphs and then pages and then you know you end up with amazing story we're written and I want to reveal a secret here and uh, since most of the people uh, know you by your very popular podcast, we always have this image of you as a podcaster and that's who you are. And I have a feeling, as I said, that that's who you will always be. But I was like amazed. I was surprised. I knew you since a while and I never thought that you were a writer too. <laughs> so let's talk about this part since my podcast is about and for writers how did you end up writing 
It's funny, actually. I started writing because I came to um, a key point in my life that I was frightened I was going to come and go and nobody would know that I've been on this planet. And it sounds quite dramatic, but I'd read something. Oh, I saw something that they said 99% of the people on Earth who's ever walked and breathed, then they will come and go. And they haven't actually left anything to say that they were here. And only 1% leave their mark. And that thought terrified me. And I remember reading about the British Museum having to keep a copy of every single book that's ever published. So if you write a book, as you have done, they're in the British Museum. And that's the way it it goes. They keep a record of it. And I kind of liked that. And I thought, well, that's my mark. I'll write a book. And I never really believed that I wanted it to be published as such. I just wanted A, to prove to myself that I could do it and B, scratch an itch that I could leave my mark if I wanted to. And so I was fortunate. I was in a job that was very um, peaks and troughs. So I could pretty much go in there and for a couple of days not actually have to do anything and then be very busy for like three days. And so I started writing. And um, when a manager would come up to me, I would flip my sort of web page away from Microsoft Word to something else that I never realized. And it was exactly as you said. I started with this idea and I wrote the first page and then I wrote the second page and third page. And I ended up writing a thousand words a day, really, in those periods. And I ended up with this book. And it, it was all sort of done and dusted. And the, the hard bit of it wasn't the writing. It was the editing. That was the bit that sort of absolutely destroyed me. And I'd be interested to know, Annie, whether you edit on the go or whether you kind of vomit everything on the page, finish it all off and then go back and edit. How do you do yours? Well, editing on the go is the first biggest mistakes, new, mistake newbie writers do. Because the, I mean, when you start editing on the go, you end up, uh, you, you may end up having this editing process nonstop and it will hinder you from going forward, moving forward so it's usually what I'm doing I'm I'm just you know as you said I'm vomiting it out uh, in in quite short framework like you know I can write a novel in about a month approximately and then um, the painful process starts which you know, for me is like the most detested one which is called self-editing and um I don't like that because it's, um, you know, when I'm writing, I kind of, I feel all the emotions I'm going through. I'm I'm relieving the scene and then I'm putting it out on the paper. And that process itself is, is very exciting and I, I love that process. When you're self-editing, you're kind of trying to um, imagine what people, what the outsider will understand, feel and see when he's writing, when he's reading the text. And it's very difficult to do. Uh, for me, it's even more difficult because I'm writing in English and English is not my native language. So very often, um, if in my la- native language, I can feel that something is wrong here and it needs a fix, even if I don't know how to fix it, I feel that, you know, this part should be fixed. In English, it's not always the case. So sometimes things which my editor kind of reworks completely seemed quite okay to me. So I didn't even feel that there was something wrong with that, which is quite funny. So, But it's amazing that you can do that. 
Albert to write a whole novel in not your natural tongue? Uh, well, actually, I traveled so much that I don't even know what my natural tongue is. So, I mean, usually I, I was trying to understand which one is like my language, like the one I feel the most comfortable with. And some people say that, you know, that your language is the one you see dreams with. So when you're dreaming something, the language you're hearing is your native language, no matter which, which one is really. But my problem is depending who I dream and with whom I talk, I, I talk on the language <laughs> this person speaks. So, you know, I see different uh, dreams in different languages. So that trick didn't work. I, I still don't know which is my language. So, uh, so, so I if you were tell. watching a film with, um, you know, your, your natural tongue talking, but with English subtitles, what which bit would you focus in on? Oh, I don't know. I mean, the subtitles would distract I guess just because I don't like subtitles they kind of distract me from from concentrating on hearing but actually when I consume the information like when I'm reading uh, or when I'm watching a film uh, from all these five languages I know I don't see any difference so I can read and watch films in all these five languages and they're equally com comfortable for me but I realize the differences once I myself start expressing things like when I talk or when I write a book and that's when I realize that there are some differences and there are some languages I know a bit better some a bit worse but it's just you know I, I have a feeling I don't know maybe I'll tell something which will annoy many writers but I have a feeling that the language and the stylistics and the grammar and spelling are not as important in writing a book as the storytelling talent and as um, as how well you can um, you can drive your message through so that the feelings, the emotions and the states of mind won't kind of disappear in between. I, I think that's true, though. I think that's absolutely true. If you remember all the, the fantastic stories you were told when you was a kid and you was in bed, most of the time you weren't looking at the words you were just listening to the story that the adult was telling you and it was the way that they embellished and the way that they added you know character voices and all that kind of stuff so I, I think you're absolutely right I don't think that sort of grammar and the way it's constructed is the be all and end all I think a really good story that grabs you is is the main thing yeah, absolutely. If it makes you escape the reality, if it makes you relieve the li the life of the character and go through things that are going through in the book, then you know it's it's a good book. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And that, that's what I, when I started writing my my book, that that's what I wanted. I wanted a book that I I could pick up ten years later and start reading it, and then want to read the second page and the third page and the fourth page. But where I struggled, and you you given the sort of nuggets of gold of advice to the audience here is I started editing as I went and the story gets boring to you doesn't it because you've read it 20 30 times and you kind of lose the flavor of it now I look at it now and I looked at it the other day because you kind of dragged this secret out of me <laughs> and um, I haven't looked at it for four years and I enjoyed it I, I really enjoyed it and I, I read sort of more of it than I expected to because it got me again 
with that that emotion and that passion that I first wanted when I first started writing the very first words. So what is it about? What kind of book is it? Well, it, it, it was kind of a children's book, first of all, but I've been told subsequently by an author who I did show it to. I've only shown it to two people, one you and one this lady who's got a published book um, out on on Amazon called Isabel and she's called Sheila Tibbs and she was a lady that I used to work with who self-published her own book and uh, I, I lent it to her and she came back and she said it's a kind of J.K. Rowling story for in now I've never read Harry Potter so I've got no idea what she's talking about but she <laughs> said as the books kind of progressed apparently they fell more within the kind of the adult audience than the children's audience mm-hmm. and she said it was that kind of vibe that the essence of it was very much a child story it's about a, a, little, a little mouse who had to sort of overcome fears and um, take a leap of faith really um, on a on a daily basis because he found himself in a situation and it's not a kind of new story as such um, I'm sure that you can go through every Disney film and find the same thing where an animal has to find itself whether it's mum leaves him or or something happens but it was that kind of come on guys you can do something and I wanted the sort of audience or the readers to read it I suppose it's pretty much the vibe of my daily show to be honest when I look back on it now it's like sort of six years before join up dots was formed and it's that same essence of we've only got one life let's make the most of it so yeah it's, it's a little little mouse called Thomas Mousebird and uh, he he goes on an adventure and he finds himself and he finds the hero within yeah well you know I mean sometimes I, I had started a book uh, very long time ago and uh, which I did not finish but the thing was that whatever I wrote in that book at, at least the the part I, I had written uh, eventually happened to me a few years later so maybe that mouse was you and you found think, yourself <laughs> yeah I know I think there's a lot of truth to be said in that and um, yeah I think you're probably spot on this is like therapy Annie I'm gonna lay down <laughs> But um, yeah, I think the mouse was actually me somehow speaking to myself going, come on, you've got to be doing something more than what you're doing. Um, so yeah, spot on. Okay, so now we know why you decided to write a book and what your book is about. And how were you inspired by the, I mean, how did this idea about what you were going to write about come came to you? Well, it didn't really. I just started writing. I wrote uh, a page and it was, the, the, must, the story must have been in me somehow. But all I wanted to do was see if I could write a page that sounded like a book. And so I did. I started writing. And after about a sort of two or three paragraphs, it, it kind of started finding its feet somehow very, very quickly. It was almost, and this sounds a bit hokey, it was almost like I was a vehicle. Something was like channeling this story through me. Um, and then once I got into sort of the second chapter, third chapter, fourth, fourth chapter, I started to realize what I was writing and where it was going to go. But at the beginning, I don't remember any realization of what it was going to be about other than it was my third book. Um, I wrote a first one which became too complicated um, for my sort of my, my knowledge of how to do it at that time. So I kind of put that to the way 
it away and sort of left that. Then I did another one, which, to be honest, Ernie, I look back on it and it was a bit dirty, to say the least. And um, I'm a bit ashamed by by the sort of pages. So that's never going to see the light of day because it's not really me. I don't know what was what was coming out of me at that time. And so the third one, which was this one that we're talking about, just became something that I thought, wouldn't it be nice that everyone could read it? And it wasn't for an adult audience. It wasn't for a children's audience. It was a story that I would be proud if somebody picked it up on my bookcase and go, oh, what's this about? And I could go, that's my book. That's the one that I've written. So it was it was nothing more than that. Okay. So I, I, I mean, the process of you described sounds very familiar to me and very often me too. I, I just, you know, start something. I don't know how long it will be, how it will land, what it will be about. I just sit and write. And, uh, and I have a feeling you enjoyed the process, didn't you? I loved it and then didn't love it. Um, the, the times that I did love it, and I'm sure this will sort of resonate with you, is the times when I would go right I've got five hours to die I've got nothing to do I'm going to start writing and I'd sit there and it was just rubbish I just couldn't get going and then there'd be other times when you think okay it's really late at night I should be going to bed and you'd sit there and it would just flow from you and you'd look back over it and like six or seven pages you'd written and it was gold it was brilliant stuff where I was always fascinated by that why sometimes it would just be brilliant and it flew and other times when I was trying to sort of make the most of the time I had available, it, I, I deleted most of it. It just wasn't very good. It was almost like I was trying to force it again because I had that time. Did you find the same thing? Well, it's interesting. Actually, I have a feeling in advance when I know that right now, if I sit and write, it will be brilliant. And uh, sometimes I have another feeling when, I mean, I know in advance whether I should write, sit and write or not, because I know that if I do it now, it won't be good. And I know that it, you can't force it because whatever I've written like that, I've deleted as well. And uh, and then I, ha I know the feeling inside me when it says just, you know, no matter what you're doing right now, just leave everything and go and write because, you know, I've come. <laughs> And you should just, you know, put it on paper. So, how, yeah. How do you know that then? Because that that is that is a gold nugget. All the all the authors out there that listen to your show in their thousands, I'm sure they want to know that. How do they know when it's going to be good for them? Well, I don't know. I have this feeling inside me, like something which is kind of is accumulating inside. It wants to come out, and and you. It's just, I don't know, I, I can't explain, but it's a feeling inside that kind of tries to make you right. And when this feeling comes, it, but it's usually, I, I have to be honest here, it's not applicable to novels, at least in my case, because every time I'm writing something urged by that feeling, I don't know whether it's a muse inspiration or whatever it is, I, it's it's not explainable thing, I, I don't know what it is. But um, when it comes and when I'm writing under that influence, It's usually something shorter, like, I don't know, flash fiction, a short story, uh, nothing like longer than 10-15 pages usually. And when when I start, um, you know, I sit down, I have no idea what I'm going to write about. I just write the first five words or six words or the first sentence and that's it. And then it flows. I have I mean, Sometimes I have a feeling that it's like cheating because uh, it, it feels like someone else is writing instead of <laughs> you. So you, you kind of, you know, you get into 
into this trance feeling and 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 you just you know the, the words flow and you write and you don't even i mean you don't even think about going back and reading what you've written so far until you're finished and you have no idea when it will be finished and how and how long it will be you just you know but you have to do it I mean at least in my case I just do it in in one sit you just go there you pour everything out and and then you 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 kind of feel that that's it you put a full stop and you're done and usually those are the things which are uh, the best things I've written so far but, uh, but but I think that's a common trait. I think if you, you know, I've heard Paul McCartney say that some of his greatest songs, he would swear blind, but he hadn't written them. It was, it just like come to him somehow. And I think that ability to go, I don't know where it's coming from, but it's coming and just let it go. I think that is a common trait with all artistic people. Yeah, I guess so. But the thing is, on the other hand, if you want to be a professional writer who is writing on regular basis, you can't really sit and wait for those moments because they are not regular and they don't come very often. So if you just depend on those, you may end up not having anything written or, you know, having just very small short pieces written. So it's just, you know, about maybe finding the balance between those two and trying to kind of get the most out of it when it doesn't come at least you know um, try to uh, another approach and you know have your book uh, written maybe in short pieces in smaller pieces but at least you know I don't think you can have this emotional state uh, for the whole period you will be writing a novel because it takes much longer so you can't really rely just on on that thing which might which might come or might not because uh, i mean i haven't found out what what invites it so i can't really provoke it myself <laughs> intentionally so you never know when it will come and when it will hit you. I, I think that's right as well, because if you are doing this professionally, it's a job, isn't it? And you, you can't wait for the muse to occur. I, I was interviewing an author the other day who said there was this um, author who went to a school of people who wanted to become writers. And he stepped up on the stage and he said, which of you in here want to be writers? And they put their hands up. He said, well, go home and start writing then and stepped off the stage. And that was it. And it's kind of like that, isn't it? You've got to put the effort in. And when it's not quite, the muse isn't quite there, you've got to find that angle to create that muse. And loads of people will do quite weird things. It might be just a walk around the block. It might be um, I don't know, going to play a game of tennis or something just to create that because otherwise, I suppose if we could do it at will, you wouldn't get writer's block, would you? Yeah, well, actually, you know, once you realize that you can write even without the muse, I mean, I, I've accept, accepted the fact that I write best with the muse but I also know that you know I can write even without it maybe it won't be brilliant but it's not like I can't write anything until it comes so once you know that it's less scary you can go on <laughs> so um, that's that's just you know another trick I'm, I'm using you know not being too depressed when it doesn't come too often <laughs> did you do think people kind of buy into the mindset that authors are special creatures and it's not something that you can structure and develop a, a plot line 
Did you think that people look at that and go, ah, yeah, no, John Grisham, it's all right for John Grisham because he can just naturally do it. And it's all right for Stephen King, he can naturally do it. Because Stephen King actually says, you know, if you want to write a book, write a page a day and you've written a book for a year. And that, that's pretty much his structure on that. What, what do you think about that? Uh, well, I don't know. I, I kind of, um, well, write, who is a writer? A writer is a person who writes. So no one really, you know, analyzes what he's written, whether it's a good book or bad book. Did it have a structured plot or it was kind of a very mixed thing of different words coming together? And yeah, I mean, sometimes there are so many talented writers whom you can't really get just because they are not at your level. So, you know, it's it's they are so weird that you don't realize they are talented. Or on the other hand, there are plenty of mad, crazy people who are writing like complete nonsense and they're uh, completely disillusioned. But, you know, people think that maybe we didn't get the, them because they are too talented. So you don't, can't really get this line. So for me, like anyone who can sit down and create something from scratch and come up with a story is a writer. Uh, another question is whether this story will be liked or not by people later on. But he has created a story. So he's a writer. He re- he has written that story. He hasn't left it inside. So he's a writer for me. That That's my uh, kind of definition of being a writer. So the second book would always be easier because... You've already said, I, bec- I, I am a writer because I've done it. Um, you should try writing your second book and you'll know. No, actually, for me, every book is, uh, it depends on the book and depends on, it depends on the story. There are stories which are harder to tell than some others. And um, it's, uh, for me, each book is different and you, you can't really kind of, uh, if you are not a genre writer who is kind of standardizing everything and he has his procedure of writing and he has his standard plot which he is kind of modifying a bit and coming up with a new version of the same story um, then each book is different and you can't really kind of you know tell in advance whether it will be easier or harder it depends what you're talking about what story you're telling so it may be harder but it may be easier as well depends so you're, I, I have a feeling you're interviewing me, not, not the other it's, way around. It's what so I do. It's what I do. I turn the tables. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So no, we're, we're getting back to you now. You're, you wrote this book and um, you finished it and you read it. What did you feel? Um, I didn't like it when I first read it back. But as I say, I've left it. And I look back on it now. At the time, it was the process. It was the process to do it. And I don't think I totally believed that it was valid for for publication. But now I look at it and I think, yeah, I'd be quite happy to have that published. Is it part of my master plan? Probably not. Um, am I of a belief now that I could write another one? Yes, yeah, certainly. And in many ways, I do think that it's as you were saying, it's the story. It's the story. If you get a good story in your head, and they say there's only five classic stories, isn't there? There's generally, you know, good against bad. There's somebody in trouble and getting out of trouble and and love stories. So if you find a good story, you just have to throw that thought off of somebody's done this already and just get it on the page, get it on the page. So um, I'd I'd quite like to write another one. But at the moment, as you say, I'm a bit of a busy person. So 
it's yeah. not going to be easy to squeeze <laughs> another another 365 pages in. But certainly um, we're talking, you know, fiction, the non-fiction books, which is very sort of um, prevalent in the online world. Yeah, I, I reckon I can do that quite easily. And I used to do that in my previous job because I was a trainer. And so I used to have to write training guides, which are pretty much in the online world, non-fiction. Mm, I see. So when you finished your book, uh, was the reason you didn't want to publish it or show it to anyone else since you've shown it only to two people up to now? Was the reason uh, that you didn't like it and you didn't think it was good enough? No, I don't think that was the reason at all. I think the reason was... Um Did, did, you know, do I like it? Yes, I do, because I read it the other day and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I do think that it's too long. I think that I was trapped in the belief that you had to make a book over 300 pages for it to be worthwhile, um, which is quite obviously not the case that people have told me about the Harry Potter books, that the first one's tiny little thing and the last one's huge. But I, I, I do like it. I, I like it. But it wasn't the... The reason to actually write a book and publish it um although i did say at the beginning i'd like it to be in the british museum and i would so i, I could publish it but I'd, i'd like to be proud as well i'd like to know that i can do something and i had a girlfriend at the time who said to me yeah you'll never be able to write a book and yes i could and i don't need a lot in my life annie if somebody says to me you can't do something that's like a red rag to a ball and i'm going to really sort of go for it and um once i'd written the pages i i like it i do do like it and you know what what did you think about it i know i only showed you a little bit the other day but as my second person to ever read the <laughs> words what did you think well it, it it kind of drew me into the story and i wanted to learn more so it was quite intriguing and it was well written and i liked it so you know it's it was something that i would um with great pleasure most probably read it uh, together with my son let's say And um, yeah, I liked it. Well, thank you. And you didn't have to say that, did you? I haven't given you any money for, for no, that kind of feedback. No, absolutely. No, no, no. I usually never tell these kind of things for money or for anything else. If I don't like something, I will never admit that I did. So <laughs> no problem with that. Oh, I do. <laughs> I say I like things all the time when I don't. Oh, you do? To... Yes. Why say what that? people want to hear. That's what you have to do in life. Oh, no, no, I don't do that. <laughs> okay, so uh, in this case, um, now that you liked the book and you think it's, it's quite a good one, and I do think so too, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do? Well, I, I think now you, you've kind of opened my eyes to the um, possibility of finishing it off. Now, it's not on my radar at the moment because I am a busy, busy person. But certainly when things slow down a little bit, um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to finish it off, tidy it up, take bits out, put a, one or two sort of little subplots in, which maybe I wasn't that proficient at at the time. And yeah, and, and get it out there. But I'd also like to write some kind of nonfiction as well. And I think that's very useful in what we're doing in the online world, being able to write um, training modules or, or sort of informational products, those kind of things that I will find very easy to do. Yeah, it's it's. It, I don't know. I always say that writing nonfiction is much easier, but at the si same time, personally for me, it's so 
unexciting <laughs> to be honest so it's it it feels more like uh i don't know i mean i i studied in business university and writing nonfiction reminds me of my university classes so it's kind of uh, you know quite dry and uninteresting so even when i'm writing i started writing my first nonfiction book recently even when i'm writing nonfiction I'm I'm always kind of you know I tend to uh, to end up writing it in in a fictional style let's say so I always insert some personal stories or you know I but that's tell- good though isn't it that that brings it alive I'm more likely to read that than just do this just do that you know I, I can get those kind of books anyway so if you're merging that you, you're you're making it once again readable and that's what people want yeah yeah, exactly. So, you know, the pure nonfiction, I don't know if I can be able to write those. But, uh, you know, uh, nonfiction books are um, easier to, not only easier to write, uh, which is kind of my subjective view, because, you know, it depends, some people don't find it that easy. But they are also easier to market and sell which is very important. So, um, you know, if you plan to write a nonfiction book, you know, it's it's a good plan. Come on, guys, write both. You've got, you've got more income streams, haven't you? Surely, if you can do both of them. Absolutely, but on the, on the other hand, you will end up having two audiences, and you will have to work with all those two audiences. So it's if if you have the time and energy for that, yes. But uh, you know, it's it's quite difficult sometimes to work with two completely different audiences that was the challenge i had in the very beginning and i still do i want a global audience i do annie (laughs) no but i mean uh, truly um, my fiction readers are not really the people who um, read my blog and who listen to my podcast and vice versa, the people who are listening to my podcast that don't read my fiction books. So you end up having two different groups of people you have to approach completely differently. So I don't, because I think that you could merge the two together. I think if, if you start from the very beginning thinking to yourself the two have to be a hybrid somehow i reckon you could do that as well i don't think you need to have two audiences so how would you do that i have no idea (laughs) it's just the fact that i think that you could do it if if you planned it from the beginning i think that you could structure it that the audiences merge somehow yeah well that's that's the challenge i have right now but you know it's it's okay so um so are we going to see in in the future somehow this book coming live with your name on the cover and um, who, who will be actually who will be your ideal reader? Let's say the book is ready, it's 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 out there, and uh, who is the ideal reader you would like? I think uh, my my daughter who's nine at the moment and she is you know she she my son doesn't really like reading at all he's got no interest in reading which is a shame when I was a kid I loved to read a book every sort of night but my daughter really likes it um and she will read the prologu as she always says at the beginning we haven't told her it's the prologue so (laughs) it it just amuses us and uh, I think she's about the right age nine year old 
boy or girl, those kind of nine or ten. It's, it's quite wordy in places, but I think you need to stretch the youngsters a bit so that um, they, they ask their mums and dads, what's this word? What's that word? I remember as a kid, I was always, if I was reading a book, I would never get to a word and just skip it. I would always go up to somebody and say, what's this word? You know, and, and mm-hmm. sort of learn from that point. And uh, yeah, so about sort of nine or ten, I would think that would be the target audience around about that age. Okay, so that those are the people you wrote the book for. And no, I wrote it for myself, really. If <laughs> I'll be did. honest, I wrote it for myself. But yeah, that, that's who I would give it out to now. Okay, interesting. So uh, you wrote it for yourself and um, what you were expecting to get out of it in that case? Just to prove that I could do something, really. Just basically the process. And once you learn the process and you come out the other end, I'm a great believer in, can you say this, a believer in belief, but I am. And I think everything that we do in life is about challenging ourselves to overcome something that we don't believe we can do. Now, I've written a book and whether it's published or not, I've now got the belief that I could write another one and another one and another one. And it's the same with my show. Could I record a episode? Yes. Can I record two? Now I've done over 200 and it just keeps on going, going, going. It's the mind belief. That, that's, that's what I got out of the actually writing the book, knowing that if I put my mind to something, it doesn't matter if it's out of my comfort zone. More often than not, I can achieve it. And it may not be a sort of a dramatic success, but the process has been completed. Okay, well, since you touched the topic of success, what is success for you? And do you think that you're successful? Well, when I was a young boy, I wanted to be on this Right to be Read podcast. And I thought, <laughs> if I got on there, it's the peak, it's the, it's the pinnacle. Um, I just generally, my success now is I want to enjoy myself. And I want to obviously earn an income. I want to earn money. But I don't want to earn money doing something I don't love. And so at the moment, I think I'm successful because I've come out of the corporate world and every day I'm doing something that I love doing. And if it makes me a very rich man, great. If it doesn't make me a very rich man, it just means that I pay my bills and nothing more. But I'm enjoying it every single day. To me, that's success. Okay, well, you know, that's that's the, the best definition of success. And I have a very similar one, because really, that's true that if you don't like what you're doing, no matter how much money you're getting, you know, you, you won't enjoy spending that money either, because you will be having to go back to the place you don't like so true i mean uh, i personally find you a very successful man and uh, because uh, as you said you've been challenging yourself uh, various various times and and every time you have come up with great results which which is just wonderful so i wish you more success i want you to get where you're headed for and uh, hopefully we'll meet you there <laughs> absolutely and i will raise a glass of vodka or whatever what, what, what do you drink annie uh well my favorite alcohol drink is beer actually Oh, I can do that one. Yeah, okay. I will raise a glass of beer and we will we will virtually clink our glasses to be successful. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for coming over. I really enjoyed our interview. It was fun as always. And um, have a nice day. Thank you so much. 
Well, it seems like that was it for today. If you haven't grabbed your ebook called You Wrote a Book, Now What? which I created recently just for you, please do so by visiting www.annialexander.com slash free. Annie spelled A-N-I www.annealexander.com slash free. Well, I wish you very productive and creative week ahead. Be and stay as crazy as writers are. Create stories, share them with us and make us relieve them.